Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, the show where, well, we talk all things transportation, whatever it is, however it is, however it gets you from here to over there. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and with me today, I have a very special guest here in studio. He's the editor and the executive director. There are probably other titles you couldn't fit on your business card, I'm sure. Of Streets Blog Denver, Andy Bosselman. Andy, thanks for so much uh, for coming here in the studio and being here on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, this is impressive, right? I mean, this little shoebox is pretty uh, impressive. You, you always talk about it. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, it is quite intimate, but... <laughs> <laughs> what are your, your first impressions of our overall facilities here? Oh, yeah. You gave me a great little tour of the station. It's uh, it's really cool to see how you guys put everything together and the studios and the in the building and... In the lovely mid-century lobby, which uh, I think you were kind of joking around about uh, about it, but I, I actually really liked it. Yeah, it's uh, it'll all be better in a new building whenever that happens. You guys are moving? Or? Well, we don't know. We never know. We always hope that things will be better in the new building whenever that day comes. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about transit. We'll talk about alternative forms of transportation other than driving. We're also going to talk about an opinion piece that you wrote that is now on today's Denver Post and you can see it out there right now. Originally, it was titled, Denver Drivers Should Support Better Walking, Biking, and Transit. Here's Why. But the editors over there at the Denver Post has changed the title of your piece <laughs> to Guest Commentary. Denver's 20-year plan will solve congestion if drivers don't bulk. Nobody uses that in real... Honestly, your sentence is, is more user-friendly, and the Denver Post editor sentence isn't. <laughs> How, how, what do you think about their their uh, change to your opening title there? I, I think it's fine as a you know as a writer, you know you're used to having your headlines changed and yeah it's fine with me. So I want to know more about you and where you sit before you stand and and we'll we'll talk a lot about that and we're also going to talk about um, not only that opinion piece but also some other aspects of transportation. We'll get to know all about that here in just a little bit. But before all of that, I wanted to get your reaction to a couple of stories. Okay. Knowing how you're not the hugest fan of cars in the world, there is this consideration for you. A police in Germany ordered the owner of a blinged-out golden Porsche to keep his car off the road because it was too shiny. The 31-year-old owner of the Porsche was stopped and told that his, his Porsche uh, was sporting a reflective gold foil finish, and it might blind other drivers and was a danger to everybody else on the road. He was told to remove the foil and re-register the car, but he continued to drive it. He was stopped only a few days later, and police didn't warn him this time. They took his keys, his license plate, and towed the car to a garage. He was fined an unspecified amount, and will have to remove his foil to make his car street legal. I love it. I'd love to see that car. But, uh, and I, but I'm glad that the officials in Germany are taking the safety of, of other drivers uh, seriously. I... We have some pretty blinged out cars here in the yes. United States, and I, I love them. I think they're they're great to look at. It's great to see that people are so interested in the look of their vehicles. I, but but yeah, if 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 it's going to be a danger to people on the road, uh, yeah. Did you get to the auto show and see some of those blinged out cars? I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's this guy. A couple of police officers in Buxton, Maine. They were out on patrol the other night when they noticed a pickup truck that was towing another vehicle. But it didn't look just quite right. So they pulled over the driver, and they saw 25-year-old Justin Sproul of East Waterboro. 
and that he had backed his truck up into another vehicle pushing the trailer hitch into the rear bumper of the second car, and when Justin was driving away, he didn't realize the other vehicle was attached to his, and inadvertently towing it down the roadway. Justin was, surprise, a little bit drunk. He was arrested and charged with operating under the influence. Drunk people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just drunk people. So let's start with who is Andy? Let's talk about your background. What's your background? How'd you get into all this transportation stuff? Yeah. um, I I think part of the the way that I got into transportation is, uh, you know, I didn't study urban planning or anything like that, but um, I had lived overseas. Um, I lived in Paris for a while. And when you use public transportation there and you know for the first time living without a car and just being amazed that I didn't need it didn't miss it uh and um I've had the opportunity to travel in a lot of places and use public transportation in Asia and um and when you see how well it can work and how it can benefit cities and how much more pleasant it is and how how much less dangerous it is um it it's you want to bring that back here and um I, uh, I was living in San Francisco and just started following the streets blog, uh, there and, uh, was just got really interested in it and started getting involved with an advocacy organization, writing pieces in the local paper for them. And, um, yeah, and here I am. <laughs> and, here, and here you are. Uh, tell us where you sit. I always like to ask people where they sit before you tell us where you stand ideologically. What is your leaning, and and how does that play into your role in Streets Blog? Mm. Yeah, so Streets Blog is a, is a national network of sites that cover walking, biking, and transit. So, And we are advocacy journalism, so we work to promote those things. And, and part of that is also reducing car dependency. So that's kind of where Streets Blog typically stands. And you, same way? Yeah, I I generally agree with those things, yeah. Uh, Let's talk transit. And before we talk about your Denver Post commentary, you're an avid supporter, obviously, of transit, as you just talked about liking transit in different parts of the world. And I'm sure you would like to see a reduction in the usage of cars here in not only probably Denver, but also the state and, and the entire country. So how uh, how much would you like to see car usage reduced? Well, Denver has a goal to, to reduce the uh, number of uh, what we call single occupancy vehicle trips. So one person alone in a car. Denver's goal is to reduce the number of those trips by about a quarter. So right now, it's 73% of all trips in Denver are by one person in a car, and they want to get that down to uh, 50% by 2030, and I think that's a good place to start. Is that the entire city or the downtown core? That's the entire city, yeah. So what would it be in the downtown core? I would think there's fewer people actually driving in downtown. Yeah, a majority of people, or not a majority, but uh, more people take transit and bike to jobs downtown than drive down there. I, th- I think the number is 34%. It's actually in the Denver Post story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to go read that. There you go. Yeah, I have your, your opinion piece right here. Downtown Denver has already exceeded the goal by reducing driving down to 34% of downtown workers drive to work alone while 40% use transit and 10% use bike. 
So if that's 84%, what do the other 15% do? <laughs> oh, there's <laughs> there's walking and uh, scooters have even oh, yeah. made it into the into the uh, in the mix there. As part of your opinion piece uh, in your guest commentary, what what are some of your main points that you wanted to get across? Well, Streetsblog has a, a sort of bratty role to play, where we're often critical of elected officials and um, and peop- a, you know agencies like RTD, um, and um, we. There's sometimes this attitude that, you, that that regular readers of Streets Blog will see that that's kind of anti-car and and really kind of pushing people to you know move toward better walking, biking, and transit. But what happens is, uh, as I talk about in the Denver Post piece, is a lot of times uh, we're preaching to the choir. And when you go to community meetings where they talk about you know adding a a bike lane, but that will have to remove a couple of parking spots. The neighbors get really upset. You know, they're not reading streets blog every day. They're not urban planners. So what I'd like to do with this piece is to really reach out to drivers and say, you know, these changes may cause some inconveniences to to driving, to parking. But the overall goal, if we can move significant numbers of people out of cars and onto buses and and uh, on bikes and walking, what's going to happen is the city will actually come closer to achieving that goal of reducing the number of uh, people driving alone in cars. And if you know, for the people who can't imagine themselves riding a bus or taking a bike to work, that's that's going to be great for them because with fewer cars on the road, if they want to continue to drive, there's going to be less traffic, and you know. Your job will get even a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. The, the way that Denver is growing, there is always going to be traffic and traffic problems, and I think I'll at least have some job security there. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you're you're obviously advocating for people to get onto transit, onto buses, and onto trains, and to walk or, or take a take a bike. That's fine, but I, I don't necessarily want to do that. And mm-hmm. it feels like. There's an advocacy there that is shaming me for not doing it when I don't want to do it. Well, that's that's not what we're, what the intention is. the The idea is that there are people who do who will take these options, and that's exactly what we saw downtown. So downtown has the the most transit rich um, uh, is the most transit rich place in the region. So. You know, there's a lot of buses that you can just hop on or, and not even think about when they're going to come. You don't have to if they come, if they're coming every 15 minutes or less, you can pretty much just walk to the stop at any time and know you're not going to be waiting too long. Um, and what downtown has shown is that when you provide good bike infrastructure, good pedestrian infrastructure, and uh, good transit, people will choose to 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 use those options instead of driving. And and and. And that goal of um, reducing the city's goal of reducing those trips to fifty percent—that's still allowing you know most people to drive. And uh, and the truth is is that in Denver, a lot of the city was designed around cars. So there there are places that where public transit just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, when you don't have apartment buildings, when you have just these single-family homes you know, you're not going to get tons of people on the bus over there. So The city was actually designed for horses and buggies. Um, <laughs> Parts of it were, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because mm-hmm. that's really when the city was, was formed that, that many uh, years ago. But 
you're also talking a little bit about the path of least resistance, and that's something that I've talked a lot about. People, humans, naturally are like water. They will take the path of least resistance. If you make it easy to jump on a free mall shuttle across downtown that takes you from one side to the other, or you can just jump on and off at will without having a pass or having to pay extra, then that's fine, and they're going to use it a lot. If you start charging them a lot of money, which RTD is fairly expensive mm-hmm. to just ha- even have the pass. So let's say I wanted to drive downtown. I have a parking place like here at my building. Uh, so I'll park here. And let's say I wanted to get across town for lunch or for a business meeting of some sort. And I wanted to jump on uh, the bus that's over here. Well, I'm going to wait 10 minutes for the zero line bus to show up. And then I jump on the bus and it's going to take me another 20 minutes to get down there. So I'm already looking at a half an hour just to go from here where I could drive over there in about 10 minutes. And so there's going to be extra cost involved and extra time. And for some people, and they don't like to talk about it, but for some people, especially with the in in, in the with the higher profile jobs, their time is actually worth money. And so, the transit, at least here, is not that convenient for a lot of folks, and that's why they don't use it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, t- to be totally honest, I took an Uber here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea is that the options right now are not that good. I, I don't think anybody argues with that. But the idea is to make walking and biking and transit such attractive options that more people will choose those options. So when you're talking about changing the infrastructure, we've changed the infrastructure in Denver, down along Broadway, where we've had a... It used to be just down Broadway and Lincoln Street where we would have a bus lane that was used pr- primarily during the morning and afternoon commutes when, when you'd have more frequent buses and it would, it would be more beneficial for the buses to go along that uh, dedicated lane for them and, and stay congestion-free. And then open it up to everybody else who is driving um, when it's not so congested. But the city what, a year and a half or so ago, they changed that policy and they made it 24 hours a day. So even at three o'clock in the morning when I'm getting here to work, that is still a dedicated bus lane and nobody's driving in it. Why not open it up to high occupancy vehicles? Maybe it's not safe to put people on a bike on that lane, but with with a speeding bus coming at you, but at least open it up to high occupancy vehicles. Uh, Well, bike lanes are coming to Broadway, which is something that's really exciting. i don't know when, though. Um, I think in the next uh, few years. Uh, And that'll be a great thing. Uh, But what cities around the United States are doing in is adding those dedicated bus lanes in, uh, I think in San Francisco, New York, they're painted red. um, So they call them red carpet lanes. And it's a way of prioritizing transit. And uh, one of the things that I like to, to, to point to is a series of photographs that show uh, an intersection. And they show, uh, I think, 60 cars that have, you know, 60 people in them and how much space that takes up. It's almost a full city block. And then it shows uh, a bus in the, at the same intersection that can carry 60 people. But does that same picture show what everybody has in those cars and where everybody is going and how everybody in that in each of those individual cars might be going to a different place? Their cars can take them exactly from door to door. Their cars can carry all their comfortable stuff. Uh, and, and let's say they have to go to the dry cleaners afterwards or they have to go pick up their kids from school right after work. You can't do that from the bus. 
Well, and not in Denver. <laughs> but, and that's exactly the problem that, that needs to be solved here, is we have to prioritize walking, biking, and transit. We, if you're going to get people out of cars, you have to make the transit good enough that people can use, the, use public transportation for those kind of trips. And like you said, that's, it's, it's possible here, but it's very inconvenient. It's very time-consuming. And um, until we prioritize transit, you're going to continue forcing people in the cars. Are we prioritizing transit maybe in the wrong way? And what I'm talking about here is maybe you have the regional transportation district, which is our bus system, or we call it RTD. It's our bus and train system here in Metro Denver. And there's the metro area, uh, I think what's it, seven or eight counties that pay a tax into the RTD system. And I, I am uh, just outside of that tax, so I'm not paying RTD uh, right now. Uh, but right now it's regional. Mm-hmm. But also they're trying to be local. They're trying mm-hmm. to do both. And I don't think they're excelling at both. Do you think maybe it's time to change the RTD and then just keep it regional? Maybe make it go from just Boulder to Golden, Denver to Inglewood, Aurora to downtown. Make it, it make everybody come into a certain area and then have, like they have in Boulder, the link where you go from Denver to Boulder and then you jump on the link. And then that goes around. So then the city, let's say Denver, has its own then transportation network where maybe they have smaller buses. Maybe it's easier to run those things around as little shuttle buses like you would see at the airport that gets you from the parking lot over to the terminal. Uh, Maybe they would go more frequently. They can go in some of the smaller streets. They can get you maybe closer to where you want to go rather than these really big, heavy-duty diesel buses. Do you think it's time for for that kind of a change? Uh, Yeah, and those conversations are happening right now. On Monday night, the the city council approved... um, uh, the Comprehensive Plan 2040 and Denverite, and those are some of the the plans, uh, uh, the the yeah the the city's plans for the next 20 years, and uh, those are actually really exciting. And um, one of the th- one of the things that uh, is called for under that is creating a Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. That's something that the that the mayor just announced uh, a few weeks ago, and. The idea is to uh, t- to create a uh, a dedicated department within the city that's focused exclusively on mobility. One of the things that's part of that is giving the city the possibility to create its own transit department or transit agency within the city. And there's two things that the city could do, and that is to do what Boulder and Seattle do. And they pay the regional transit provider to provide additional service. So when you get to Boulder uh, from Denver, there's the hop, skip, and the jump. And I, and I think that those are the programs that the, the city of Boulder pays RTD to provide additional service. So Denver could pay RTD to, uh, to provide more service within Denver. The other thing that it could do is uh, create its own transit network. And... Um, where, yeah, like you said, the city would be running its own buses and shuttles. Um, both of those are, are being discussed right now. It's, it's really ex- interesting and exciting. Oh, and another part of the, um, the Denver's plans for the next 20 years is uh, to create a high-frequency network of 
public transportation within the city. So high frequency is usually defined as vehicles that come every 15 minutes or less. And uh, so to, to really have a network that could better get people around in a much faster way within the city of Denver. But are, are you talking more, it sounds like you're, you're talking more about being in and around the city core. Let's say the Golden Triangle downtown, maybe just on the north side of downtown, Coors Field, all this, all this where it's really highly densely packed. But Denver still includes some areas like Stapleton, still includes uh, City Park. It still includes the south side like University Hills where you have house after house and block after block of just houses. And it seems like that is not the place where you would want all those buses or shuttles moving around. It seems like it's a Denver core problem for this transit, as you're talking about, more than it is outside of the real densely packed city core. From, from what I understand is that this high, uh, high frequency network would follow a lot of the city's busiest streets. So, you know, Colorado, Federal, and those extend you know, throughout the city. So if you're close to, uh, to Colfax or uh, Alameda, these, these streets where, that, are, that are really busy all the time, from what I understand, that's where the city is going to focus this high-frequency network. So those should exp- extend beyond just the, the urban core. But it seems like that those areas are packed not with a big uh, apartment buildings like, well, actually, there are a lot of buildings going up over there now, especially along Colfax on the west side. But those folks are trying to grab uh, a bus and then trying to bring it into the city core so then they can go to work and do whatever they're doing here into downtown. So it seems like there should be separate and maybe different transit options, if you will, in, in, in the densely packed Denver compared to even the lessly packed just outside, like you said, over by Mile High or down along Colfax to the east side towards Aurora, where they're talking about maybe putting in a bus, a uh, bus rapid transit right along the center of Colfax. Yeah, well, I think that one of the things that you're that you're touching on is what we call the last mile problem. So, you know, I live right by Union Station, so I'm a two-minute walk to, um, you know, all of the city's buses and trains. And uh, so, but if you live out further on Colfax and they do install the, the bus rapid transit, how are you going to get from where you live to Colfax to take that bus? Exactly. And that's one of the things that's called the last mile problem. And, and for a lot of the city scooters are, are helping to solve that. There's a bike share program, which isn't rolled out extensively enough to, to make but a big difference. But not everybody can ride a scooter or a bike. My wife is not going to be comfortable mm-hmm. doing either one. And she is fit enough to do either one, but she's not mm-hmm. going to be comfortable to do either one. And you mentioned shuttles. Uh, one of the things that the city had done uh, uh, late last year was start a shuttle program between Cherry Creek and, and downtown. It was it was buses that were running um, you know, somewhat frequently. Uh, or did I say buses? They're little little shuttle vehicles, and the company that ran that shut down, so that 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 has um, that has gone away. But th- but um, I recently interviewed several of the mayoral candidates for uh, for Streets Blog ahead of the May seventh election, and that's one of the big priorities for Mayor Hancock is to, how do you solve that 
that last mile problem, getting people from where they live or where they work or where they shop to those those um, high frequency lines with stuff. So let's say it's that first mile, last mile, the first mile from my home to the transit and then over to the Cherry Creek area where let's say I want to go to the Whole Foods that's over there on First and and, uh, York or Josephine and then I'm going to take all my groceries in my bags how am i going to do that and get wait for the bus get on the bus it's it, it, you would you would have to admit that it's pretty uncomfortable for some folks to try to take this transit route all the time when they're trying to just go about the normal day mm-hmm. there are cities all over the world where the majority of people who live in cities don't have cars and they get their groceries onto buses and trains when i lived in san francisco i could go to uh, trader joe's and and target and bring stuff on the on the bus, and you know you see other people all the time. Like, oh wow, somebody's really stocking up on toilet paper. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a part of urban living for for a lot of the people, and it might take a little bit of getting used to for for some people. Um, but really, when we build out that system, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have a lot of people that want to take that option, and. And then you might get people who are maybe going to a ball game and they ride the, the train and they think, huh, wow, this, this really works well. I like this. And I see other people taking groceries on it. You know, I'd like to do that too. Yeah. Uh, it, well, you're a single guy, yes? Yeah. Uh, no kids? No kids. No wife. So it's, it's, it is easy for uh, – when I was a single guy and I was living downtown over here on Poets Row and down here at 13th and Sherman, yeah, it was easy for me to get around. It was really no problem. But with a wife – and a couple of kids, and taking them to and from school or, or doing other school activities, it's not convenient at all. Um, so it's it just seems like it, there's two different worlds here. Uh, one is the urban area, and then the other is the suburban area, mm-hmm. where it does where transit really doesn't work that well. Uh, well, first, no wife, no husband. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and I would... I'm so glad to be on this this uh, podcast because I know that a lot of people are who drive are going to be listening to this, and it the idea of using transit to run errands it, it might blow your mind, it, it and it might be difficult to do right now, but I would like people who drive to start imagining that as a possibility and know that all over the world. In New York, in San Francisco, in Tokyo, in Paris, in, in all over China, you know, people live without cars and they manage to get their groceries. They manage to raise kids. You know, so it's difficult to do that right now in Denver, I will admit. But I really want people to look out of their windshield and imagine if one in four cars disappeared, you know, that's to to do that we're probably not going to get Tokyo level transit here at any point but if you can look out your window and imagine uh, uh so many fewer people on the road even if you want to continue driving that's going to benefit you but we have to allow the city to make changes that prioritize transit that add more dedicated bus lanes that add more bike lanes and that uh, improve pedestrian infrastructure in a way where people feel safe crossing some of uh, 
Denver's busiest and most dangerous roads on foot. You mentioned uh, the bike lanes that are going to be extended on South Broadway. I always contended that instead of taking a major corridor like Lincoln Street Broadway, at least specifically here in Denver, and move the bike lanes to, let's say, a couple of streets off uh, Lincoln Street, maybe to Logan, uh, maybe not even as busy as Logan, maybe to Sherman, uh, one of the less busy streets, you might have to, as you said, take away some of the parking spaces, but then you would put the bikes on roads that are less uh, congested with traffic, uh, less in the way of traffic, and, and less likely to get hit by a car or a truck. Um, so it makes it safer for the bicyclists. It also makes it more convenient for the drivers who would still be out there on the roads to be able to get out of downtown because you have then all additional lanes for vehicle traffic, whether it's bus or or, or cars or whatever. Uh, and you move the – instead of taking a a dedicated car lane and put few a few bikes on it, and you put the bike lane into another road that's not as widely traveled. It seems like that makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I'd like to envision a different future. Um, <laughs> so what's happened on Broadway is you, ha- it, it, you have uh, uh, new apartments going up all around on Broadway, and that's helped uh, a lot of the existing businesses improve their business, and it's brought a lot of new retail restaurants and bars to, to Broadway. So you suddenly have all of these pedestrians on Broadway. And traffic often moves over 60 miles an hour on Broadway. I, I don't see 60. I see 40, because Broadway is a 30-mile-an-hour z- speed limit. I do see 40. I don't know about 60. It has been tracked at, at over 60 miles an hour. and I. Uh, well, why doesn't Denver go out and do more in- enforcement? You know, Because <laughs> I've seen them hiding over there at 3rd and Broadway on that southbound side, and, and, and sometimes I see them there, and they'll pull people over if they're going at least 10 over, but you're talking 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. Yeah. Enforcement usually only works while it's uh while there are officers visible to people and uh denver has been somewhat resistant to automated enforcement so cameras that can track speed and um and people running traffic lights uh there was a plan to install a few more traffic uh automated enforcement uh things in in denver and uh, city council decided to delay that program for several months. Uh, but what I would say is, why don't we make Broadway a street that for people instead of cars? You know, you talked about moving the traffic off to Sherman. Why not? Well, not move... to traffic, but bikes. Uh, right, bikes. bikes. Okay, just bikes. Moving... What I would suggest is, why don't we move the cars? over to Sherman because it's a residential street and open up uh, Broadway to to have streets that are designed for people where you have uh, bike lanes you have transit lanes and you uh, slow down the traffic enough so that it become it it doesn't stay on the list of of one of the most deadly streets in Denver well it's to your point I mean the speed limit's already at 30 miles an hour Mm -hmm. maybe there needs to be more enforcement You look at roads around a city, like rivers and streams, some are bigger than others. And some are able to carry more water than others. 
Well, Broadway and Lincoln and those streets and Federal, they, they are able to carry a large amount of volume of vehicles, buses, or cars out of a city and then presumably get them to a highway where then they are distributed wherever out, uh, out to the outlying areas. But the s- neighborhood roads aren't able to carry that kind of vehicle traffic. So you take the traffic, i.e. Car, uh, uh, cars, and keep them on, the, uh, on Broadway, maybe extend the sidewalks a little bit. Uh, so you feel more safe, or you could even have a protected sidewalks along Broadway. So if a car is going 60 miles an hour, you do feel more safe. They at least have some kind of a barrier. But there are, you would have to, uh, I would th- hope, uh, agree that there are few people that use Broadway, uh, use the Broadway bike lanes, and there are fewer people using the Broadway bike lanes than are driving out of downtown Denver in cars or on the bus. Well, would you want your kids to bike on Broadway? No, I don't want them to be anywhere around downtown Denver, frankly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other problems in downtown Denver I don't want my kids to be a part of. Do I want them to bike on Broadway? No, I'd rather them bike on Sherman or on Pennsylvania mm-hmm. or on La Pan or, or any of those streets that are off, just off of Broadway because I think it's safer. Yeah, so again, I want to come back to looking out your windshield and seeing one in, few, one in four cars disappear. Uh, and one of the really exciting things that's happening on Broadway is uh, around the Gates Rubber Factory. They're finally talking about putting in transit-oriented development. So there's uh, a light rail line there, and Broad- Broadway is already one of RTD's most heavily trafficked uh, bus lines. And so when you create housing around transit, you're going to automatically build in um, a lot more people to ride transit and uh, and that can get those people out of cars and what is happening on Broadway is actually really exciting and and this is the kind of thing where I want drivers to be open to uh, what uh, livable streets advocates are asking for so in a few years Broadway will have a dedicated uh, protected bike lane um, I think all the way to, is it I, mm-hmm. I-25? Right. So from downtown to I-25. And that will be a place that will be comfortable and safe for people of all ages. You know, right now you have, in Colorado, we have a lot of cyclists who are, you know, wearing spandex and, and really diehard cyclists. But for everyday people, they don't want to ride their bike on Broadway today the way it is today. Uh, but this this uh, this infrastructure that's coming to support bikes is going to to make it so even more people will will feel comfortable taking bikes, and those people will be getting out of their cars. And for transit, the dedicated bi- uh, transit way on Broadway is is really exciting. And you know, like you you pointed to earlier, there are some inconveniences that come with taking public transit. And that's why we need to give people who are willing to deal with those those inconveniences priority on the streets sometimes. And Broadway is a great place. It's a it's a straight flat thoroughfare, and to allow transit riders to move quickly along there is um, is one of the things that will start attracting more people to take the bus. But it all comes at a cost. And trains are really, really expensive, much more expensive than buses or shuttles. I I was thinking about this the other day as I was driving through the Denver Tech Center to work, and I'm looking at the light rail line 
and how many billions of dollars it's cost, not only to build the one that was, well, I guess it was hundreds of millions down to the southeast quarter when it was built, but it's billions of dollars for the other light rail lines that are around. Now imagine if you took those lines and instead of having a train that is expensive to maintain, to operate, to build, and you had the exact same amount of space, so the same width of the tracks, instead of having tracks, you actually have two driving lanes for bus only. And you, have, you, you could probably have, at a lower cost, more frequent bus service, probably bus services that have not just like the articulated bus that is a little bit longer. You could almost do it like a train bus, if you will. Like they have at Disney World where you get on that little tram and then they have those separate cars that can be added to it. So it can be longer or shorter if needed. It seems like why not try that option, save some money, because the train idea is super duper expensive and obviously has problems like they are trying with the A line, the B line, the G line with the uh, with the signal problems. So let's talk about Gary Bus Rapid Transit. Okay. Are, are you familiar with Bus Rapid yes, Transit? Yes, yes, yes. Have you ever taken it anywhere? No. So I have taken. No, look, I'm I'm, I'm not. A, I have taken transit. I, I have I've been on the train and no. <laughs> I've been on the buses and all that sort of stuff. And I've used them in the past as just it's more convenient for me, for me right no. now in my life not not to. Yeah, I'm not trying to wag my finger at you, yeah, but, but bus rapid transit is something that's really different from what people know as taking the bus today. It's super exciting because uh, a lot of people call it a surface subway. And what it is, what, what's proposed in Denver is creating dedicated bus lanes right in the center of Colfax. And instead of having bus stops, you're actually going to have stations that are kind of like uh, light rail stations. And the, the really cool thing about that is when, you, when passengers approach the, 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 the platform, they can pay in advance before the bus comes. And they can, um, and the, the it's there's something called level boarding, and that means that because the platform is raised, it um, people can board the train or the uh, the bus just like they would a subway. So if you're in a wheelchair, or if you have your groceries, or if you're, uh, you know, an old person and it takes you a little bit longer to get up the stairs, you can all of those people can board just as quickly. Um, as they can a subway. But that makes it boarding faster for everyone. And like you said, the operating costs for rail are more expensive and the construction costs are, are more expensive as well. So bus rapid transit is, um, is, is less expensive and it allows you to run those buses incredibly frequently. In some cities, they do it every two minutes, every one minute. So you know... If when this is that's built out is built out, you know that you can go to one of those um, bus rapid transit stops and know that you're going to be in downtown in 20 minutes, even if you have to wait a few minutes for the for the um, for the bus. It's it's a really exciting thing, and it is sort of like doing rail, but using bus technology instead. But don't, isn't it more fun to get on the train? Yeah, and that's probably <laughs> why the region has spent so many billions of dollars on fast tracks. Uh, in in many cases, uh, so uh, so the 15 and 15L in in um, in Denver. Yeah, are, that's the bus that goes down East Colfax. It's the 15 and the 15 Limited. Yeah, and those are the most popular uh, lines in RTD's system as far as the number of riders, except for the the free mall ride. 
uh, it makes sense, like you were saying, to prioritize uh, buses when we're when we're designing our transit networks. So why do we keep building all these trains? Uh, trains do. There are situations where trains make more sense than buses. Um, sometimes it's easier for politicians to go to voters and ask for money for something like a train than it is to ask them for voters. So sometimes there's political considerations. Uh, when it comes to urban planning and transit planning, uh, these things have to get political support. And, you know, sometimes things are done that don't make a lot of sense. So it all comes down to money. And mm-hmm. folks in the state, they are not wanting to really spend any money. We had the two ballot measures here in Colorado that uh, one was bonds, one was a sales tax, both failed. So the state, and and some of the money was going to go to transit and go to the rural areas. And, and so it wasn't just all about repaving and, and uh, highways and building more lanes. It was really multimodal uh, parts of transportation. So uh, it, it all comes down to money. Uh, who, who, where are we going to get the money? People don't seem to want to pay for all this transit. So how are we going to expand it, uh, as you would like to see, and where is the money going to come from? Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about how expensive it is to install rail lines. But uh, how expensive is it to build our roads? We don't talk about the cost of our roads all that often. You know, we're spending $1.6 billion to expand uh, I-70 right now. 1.2. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I might right. be confusing that <laughs> with a different project, no, but the, you're right. Yeah. So, uh, but that's a lot of money. And one of the things that we know about widening freeways uh, is that within a couple of years, traffic is just as bad as it was, if not worse. It's a concept called induced demand. And you probably know better than I do what happened with I-25. You you had the T-Rex project. And, you know, the promise was we're going to make traffic on I-25 much, much better than it was. It was. For how long? Until the growth from after the pot referendum uh, just exploded the uh, people moving here. And mm-hmm. then it was on the growth happened so quickly. It was on un, unsustainable. Uh, I-25, as I talked about, after T-Rex was done and even many years after T-Rex was done, I always said that it was a breeze getting in and around through T-Rex. It was getting out of T-Rex that was a problem. Out of the Denver Tech Center and getting out of 225 or even to downtown was a problem. But driving in and around T-Rex was or it was great. Until now, where there is so much m- more uh, traffic based on people that have moved here. over the, You've seen the, the numbers of how many people have moved here. It's been astounding. And we just haven't been able to keep up with it. And people are not necessarily moving to the Denver City core. They're moving to the outlying areas. And they don't really, as we've been talking about, don't have great transit options. So they're opting to drive. And that has clogged it up. So I don't think T-Rex was necessarily the problem. It's just the growth that we've had over the last five years has been crazy, crazy huge. And you mentioned I-70 and that central I-70 project, which is going to take down the I-70, the bridge, the elevated portion there, because it was crumbling. I don't know if you've ever been down there, where you Mm -hmm. look up at the the bridge and and there are chunks of concrete that have fallen out of that bridge. It had to be replaced. It was just wearing out and it was going to eventually collapse anyway. So it had to be replaced and something had to be done. Maybe this is not, it wasn't my favorite option to see what they're doing and building the tunnel in there. But what is your overall uh, assessment and uh, uh, of that I-70 Central project? Well, I think for both I-70 and I-25 and really all urban freeways, 
let's talk about something. It's the term sounds a little bit fancy. It comes from economics, and it is induced demand. But what that basically means is that if you build it, they will come. So, what we know is that when you expand highways, like I said, there's so many studies proving that within a few years, the the traffic is just as bad, if not worse, on those new lanes uh, than before. And the reason is is that people will uh, build. New housing developments. They'll build new shopping centers. They'll build all of these things that will eat up that capacity on on those highways. But uh, this is again why I'm asking people to to look out their windows and envision something different for Denver. But if, but if I imagine that and mm-hmm. I see twenty five percent less traffic out there, that's going to induce me to get off the bus and get back in my car and then drive on that road that is now less congested. Maybe, but part of what um, the vision for uh, a better transportation future involves is also around land use. So land use means uh, what kind of buildings you put up and where. And this idea of transit-oriented development, which we talked about a little bit around the, the Gates rubber factory, you know, there are a lot of people who are willing to live in uh, apartment buildings, in medium-rise condos, in high-rise buildings. And we can say as a city, as a region, as a state, that we, when we are going to be adding more population, which it's, it's coming whether we want it to or not, what we can start doing is saying, okay, we want to build more of this housing in, uh, with more density and closer to transit. And when people live, like I do, in a brand new high-rise next to Union Station, it makes those choices to take transportation uh, even easier and more convenient. And, uh, and I do ride the—I didn't ride it here today, but I often do uh, ride public transportation and walk uh, a lot more than I would if I had a car or if I lived in one of those outlying areas. But there's no reason that you can't put— uh, mid-rise and, and high-rise buildings up in in other places outside of downtown. But part of that, again, requires changing the zoning laws and and having neighbors be supportive of that. And that's one of the problems, because there are people like me who who want to see the beauty of Colorado. And I live in a nice place where I can see some of that beauty with uh, some of the rolling hills and some of the open space. And, and to me, I'd rather see that than see another high rise or mm-hmm. another street or Union Station. And I grew up in Atlanta. And so I would go downtown Atlanta all the time. I, I liked it. It was pretty fun. It was, it was neat to be down there. But there was no way I would want to live down there. And there's a lot of people like me who just want to have a little bit more space and actually have a different view. And I don't know if transit's ever going to work out for me. Yeah, it might not. But allowing other people to have that option is is where you can get people out of cars. But and... also allowing the option for me to be in my car should mm-hmm. be available as well. Yeah, that's cars are not going to go away. <laughs> you know, that's that's for sure. Um, so I have some news that's going to be the biggest story on all of Channel 7 for the next month. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. This is breaking. Should I get out the breaking news sounder? Yeah. Okay, yeah. here we go. Okay. Breaking news right here.
We live in a city. Wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) In cities, you have other people around. And that's what makes them such wonderful places to live. You have ball games. You have restaurants. You have uh, libraries. You have bookstores. You have places to shop that you wouldn't get in the suburbs. All of these things are some of the great things about being in a city. And when you live in a city, you have to accept some trade-offs. So might a tall building go up in in your view of the mountains? Maybe. Not not where I live. Not where you live. (laughs) But, you know, that's something that could change. No, I doubt it. It probably (laughs) won't change. It's not politically realistic. But, um, you know, in Canada, they have... um, they have laws around uh, around uh, land use that encourage more density around transit. There's no reason that we couldn't have a federal law or a state law um, requiring that. And in in the in the San Francisco Bay Area, where the housing crisis is just ridiculously out of control, you've had a lot of local control that has prevented um, cities around San Francisco from from building new housing, and and that has been. Uh, really a travesty for um, for the Bay Area and for all of California. So now the state is stepping up and saying, you know, y- you have to contribute to the housing stock. And there could become a time where that would happen in, in, in Colorado as well. 5G technology isn't too far away. Uh, it, it will probably be everywhere, I would say, in the next four to five years. I've already seen some of the infrastructure going up around Metro Denver. Now, I I don't have a 5G phone yet. My car is not connected to 5G. The transit's not connected to 5G yet. But that's coming in the next two or three or four, five, definitely 10 years. Within 10 years, we're going to see connected cars, connected transit, connected vehicles everywhere. And so are we trying to solve the problems of today, right now, in our technology without thinking about what the technology is going to be in 10 or 15 or 20 years where there will be more autonomy with vehicles and fewer people might be owning vehicles because it's more convenient for them to have a Uber come to their house, even if it's in the suburbs, uh, a self-driving one that picks them up and then picks up their neighbor and their other neighbor that's right in that area at about the same time, takes them to wherever downtown and then drops them off, and then that car is picked. So I might not even own a car, or I might just have one car. So are we trying to fix the infrastructure of today without thinking about tomorrow's technology? I know that CDOT has an entire department dedicated to looking at technology in the future. And one of the things that they did was uh, work with uh, a company that promised to bring Hyperloop to Colorado. And how did that work out? You know, they're still looking at it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I love. I would love to see the Hyperloop. It, not not to move people, but to actually to move freight. I, I think moving freight would actually be a much better use of the the Hyperloop than than moving people. Yeah, I think that if Hyperloop ever happens, it looks it's at least twenty years away. Oh yeah. So I think the the hopes that a lot of public officials have put into crazy technology is is really not that smart. And when you have uh, but 5G is not crazy technology. Right. So I mean, you have, it's happening. So you have cars talking to, get to each other. And let's say you have uh, automated Ubers that don't have drivers. So, so that's going to drive the cost down a little bit. But you still have 
this problem of too many cars on infrastructure. But you will have probably fewer cars because, like I said, I might not own a car or just have one, and there will be fewer car trips, fewer cars on the road. Well, one of the things that Uber and Lyft are are good for is uh, reducing the amount of parking that's needed in dense areas like downtown. And we still need to have the infrastructure and the, that has the capacity to support that. And when you have Denver growing at the way it is, at, uh, you have more people living, more people working, and more people going to a lot of these urban places. And you just can't fit all of those cars on the road. So uh, I, like, I, like, I like to go back to that photograph where you have uh, 60 cars at uh, an intersection, and then a bus showing 60 people uh, in one vehicle at that same intersection. It looks like all of the traffic disappeared. Or you have 60 people on bicycles at that same intersection. They take up so much less space than cars. So uh, again, this vision of um, of getting people out of cars and, and allowing some people who want that option to, to, to use these other transportation options is, I think, that is uh, what is exciting. And I think it's what I'd like people who drive today to think about as, uh, you know, when, um, when the city proposes, uh, uh, you know, prioritizing uh, buses or um, bike lanes, even in their own neighborhoods. How are you going to feel if the traffic is not reduced in five or ten years by the amount that you would like to see it reduced, is that going to make you upset? You're going to fight harder. What, what personally? What, what are you going to feel about that? There will be more good luck if we do not prioritize walking, biking, and transit. There will be more good luck. We cannot continue to widen freeways. We cannot make the streets in the city any wider. And uh, like I said, when we do those things, within a couple of years, the, the, the traffic catches up or it gets even worse. But will you be really upset if it doesn't happen? I mean, personally, how are you going to how are you going to feel? Well, the city will become increasingly unlivable. And what we already seeing today is people are flocking to places that have good walking, biking, and transit infrastructure like San Francisco and New York. Over the years, I've had mild disagreements. I guess I could say friendly disagreements with the former editor of Street's Blog, <laughs> Tell me about David that. Sachs. I, I don't know much about that, but I've, you've told me about it. Yeah, so David, he, he moved over to Denverite, mm-hmm. so that's, and he's over on the G-Line right now, uh, riding the new G-Line train. One of the major disagreements I had with David is that he believed that a pedestrian could never, ever be in the wrong. It didn't matter if a person was crossing the street in well away from a crosswalk or running naked, or I guess naked, because then you're doing something. There is a difference between naked and naked, by the way. <laughs> naked, you're just no clothes. Naked, you're, you're naked, but you're doing something. Okay. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, let's say a person is naked running down the middle of the street and he gets hit by a car. In David's view, a pedestrian is always right no matter why or when or how they are in the street. And it came to a head, I would I would say, when there was a story about this person who was leaving this adult club uh, down by the Kennedy Golf Course. Mm-hmm. It was 4.30 in the morning, something like that. And this person was walking 
probably 100 yards away from a crosswalk, a signalized crosswalk where he could have gone safely, to the parking lot right across the street. And the person was walking and was hit by somebody going the speed limit uh, early in the morning and then just all of a sudden at the last possible moment saw him slammed on his brakes, but that driver hit that person. Now, the person was injured, wasn't killed, was injured, but there's also this, uh, this driver had his truck smashed. It was really remarkable how much damage was done to this guy's work truck by this one person. And his work truck was, was damaged to the point where he couldn't use it anymore. So that means he's out of work. He's, uh, he's inconvenienced. It, and you know how, maybe you don't know how tough it is to go car shopping. It really stinks. Mm-hmm. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, and so he has to deal with insurance. He has to deal with the, the thought of actually hitting that person, which I talked to another person uh, anecdotally who hit somebody on I-25 one time, and they are still suffering from PTSD because of that episode. So it, so it, this this poor guy who is just a, a blue-collar worker going to do his job hit somebody, so he's out of work for a couple of weeks, and so he has to find a new truck. And so it's a huge inconvenience for him, for this one person who was walking across the street. And David could not see past the person was hit and that was the driver's fault and 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 the driver gets what he deserves because he hit that person walking across the street mm-hmm. so he, he he is just he he's such a zealot in that way where all pedestrians are are incapable of of uh being in the wrong ever mm-hmm. well one of the things that i like about not having a car is i never have to worry about hitting and killing somebody there you go and and that's something that i think that a lot of people underestimate how much stress that causes them. And um, again, if we have better transit options, I think, and people s- start trying them out, they might actually enjoy that that sense as well. Well, this guy, there was no way he could be uh, get on transit. I mean, he he had his ladders and his and his tools and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. with him in his truck. I mean, he needed his work truck to go do his his work. Well, let's talk about infrastructure. So, uh. uh Denver has a what's called a, a high injury network. Corridors, often many of the busiest streets, many of them are actually seat out highways and not city streets, where people uh, drive really fast. We talked about Broadway speeds get yeah. up to about 60 miles an hour. They do on many of these high injury network uh, streets as well. And what we know is that, are you familiar with Vision Zero? Yes. So Vision, the, the idea of Vision Zero is to... Uh, to eliminate all traffic fatalities in the city of Denver by 2030. And one of the ways that that can be achieved is by changing the way streets are designed to make it so uh, you don't, you know, when you get on, on Broadway, you feel like you're on a highway. It's designed like a highway, and that makes people drive at highway speeds. And when you've got pe- people stumbling out of brunch after having several mimosas on Sunday morning, that can be really dangerous for them. Um, and that's because of the infrastructure. And, um, you know, when you think about a... Right, a, but what, wouldn't you say that that pedestrian, that person, yeah, maybe they're uh, a little bit sauced up, but they should have the wherewithal to know where the crosswalk is and cross mm-hmm. safely at the light. Well, our crosswalks are problems right now. The, uh, when you have a street like Broadway that runs so fast and it's designed like a highway, it is not designed for people. So one of the things that um, the, the city's plans for the next 20 years and for Broadway itself 
are to change the way streets are designed so that even with all of the distractions of driving and even with pedestrians who don't follow every single rule, the streets can be designed in a way that are much, much safer and that can um, can reduce uh, injuries and fatalities. And, and Vision Zero is something that other cities have made a lot more progress on than Denver, and it really does reduce uh, fatalities and traffic injuries. Let's say it's 2032. Mm-hmm. We're at Denver. We're already into Denver Zero by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And somebody walks outside of a crosswalk and gets hit by somebody going the speed limit or a little bit under. And that person is clearly, the pedestrian is clearly in the wrong according to the accident investigation. Is that person at fault or not? You said they're in a crosswalk? No. Outside Uh, the crosswalk, in the street, the driver of a car or truck, whatever, is going at or maybe even lower than the speed limit. What I believe is that if we transform the streets so that they're safer Even if the, for so everyone... It's, so it's 2032. The streets have already been transformed. We're already seeing Vision Zero in effect. It's two years after that. Mm-hmm. And we still have people that some person got hit. Mm-hmm. Can a person ever be at fault for being hit in the street? When, um, when you're driving, you are responsible. And... Uh, but when you're walking, you're responsible too. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, drivers are ultimately the the responsible party. So I'm getting the, the answer I'm I'm getting from you is no. The pedestrian <laughs> is never at fault. You're, I do this as a reporter all the time, where I'm like, <laughs> give me a straight uh, yes, answer. Yes I'm or not no? Doing that. <laughs> uh, drivers need to be responsible. When people get get when pedestrians are killed by cars. Yeah, it's the responsibility of the driver. And that's but now, what, what about the pedestrian, though? Don't they have any culpability in that? Uh, you know, it's, listen, as a pedestrian, there there are advocates that, that are really adamant that even today, uh, pedestrians should take no responsibility for their own safety. For what I, my personal belief is that we are nowhere near uh, Vision Zero in Denver. So... Uh, and I know that I don't feel safe on the streets uh, of Denver very often. So to um, so I personally make a choice to be very conscious of, of drivers and bad driving. But if uh, the changes to the streets are made to improve um, improve pedestrian safety, it will make it so that drivers are much less likely to hit anyone. And what those things do is, are you familiar with a bulb out? Yes, where you have the sidewalk or some uh, little area that is bulbed out, moved out. It's a traffic calming device. Exactly, traffic calming. So what you do is, on a street like Broadway, what you could do is bring the sidewalk and the curb further out into into the street and then when it signals to drivers like, oh, I better slow down here. And when you have infrastructure like that in place, it makes it, it sends those signals to drivers that, oh, wow, I'm not on a highway now. I'm in a city and there are pedestrians and I need to be careful of that. Did you feel safer when you were living in Paris or San Francisco or the other urban places yeah. you were? So Paris and San Francisco, uh, again, are... Um, uh, horse and buggies. Yeah. <laughs> right. you, know, you go back to that yeah. time. But the streets are narrower there. So you don't have streets where people get up to that speed 
Uh, I mean, well, you still get hurt going somebody going 15 miles an hour. Yeah, but you're much less likely to get hurt when uh, at lower speeds or killed, especially. And what New York City has done is they lowered the speed limit to 30 miles an hour maximum throughout the whole city. And that'd be a great move for for Denver to make. And that would definitely. Well, many of the streets are already that way here in Denver. It's just people ignore it. Yeah, and that's where these these changes to the street come in. When you when you put in those traffic calming devices, when you make crosswalks that um, are easier for people to see, and they have those elements like bulb outs to signal to drivers that this is an area where you need to slow down, all of that is is super awesome, and it boosts safety tremendously. Well, before we're already uh, into this for almost seventy minutes, so oh really? Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, before we let you go. Let's talk quickly about mountain driving, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of talk about I-70, uh, people trying to get to or from the mountains. I won't go skiing on the weekends usually anymore because I will not deal with that weekend ski traffic. I'd rather take a day off here. I'd rather take every day off here. Uh, and, but <laughs> the days I can take off, then I'll go skiing, and I won't have to fight the traffic up that way. So what do you think could be any solutions to fighting some of the congestion problems on I-70 and even thinking that that the summertime traffic is heavier than even the wintertime traffic. You you want to hear my crazy idea okay. for I seventy? Bring it on! And I've never said this anywhere, so this is uh, oh more breaking news. More breaking Bring in that news. breaking news sounder right here. Yeah. All right. So I can envision um, uh, a time, and several laws need to change. This is not necessarily politically practical, but what I would like to see is. Um, tolling on uh, I-70. You know, if you charge 20 bucks to, to get on the freeway, you're going to have a lot more people. The entire highway? not So no free lanes, all everything's for, tolled? For going up to the mountains, where, right. that, where that crazy traffic is. Okay. Let's just charge people. You, you know, if you want to go up there, let's charge you 20 bucks. That's going to make you carpool with your friends. It's going to make you more interested in bus tank. And the other idea I have is to create a, a lane that's dedicated for uh, buses, and then to run uh, things like bus stang much, much more frequently. Uh, and during those peak times, you'll be able to take a park and ride or go to Union Station or go to a, a one of several spots in the region, and within 15 minutes, you're going to be able to, to hop on a bus stang, and that's going to zip you up to whatever resort you want to go to. So how are the resorts going to feel when they see their skier traffic drop off like a rock because no. fewer people are willing to pay $20 a carload to go up and go skiing. They'll get on the bus. No, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> you know how tough it is to already get on one of those shuttles when you're at the ski resorts, whether it's Loveland or Copper Mountain or Winter Park, and you park at the parking lot and you try to carry all your gear there. This is a good example. When I was up at Loveland the last time, parked in one of the lower lots, uh, was taking the shuttle up there, and um, it, it's really inconvenient to try to grab my kids' skis because they're mm-hmm. not old enough to hold their skis very well, and then try to shimmy on that bus. I don't know if you've done this, but with kids, it's really tough to try to do that. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And on the bus dang, yeah, you might throw your skis and your poles and your uh, whatever underneath, but then you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And you're waiting. And you're not going up to the mountain. And it's just there are more inconveniences, I would think, with that way, at least for me, than it is to uh, to just drive up there and, and do it yourself. I went I went skiing uh, earlier this year, and I think it was five hours of traffic, and it was miserable. Yeah, you know, the drive was and, miserable. And, yeah. and and 
the 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 fantasy that I have here, where you have uh, tolls and and a dedicated lane for buses, those buses, what I envision is having, you know, maybe 10 places in the city of Denver where you can go and catch those buses. And they come every 15 minutes. And everybody with ski gear is slow and awkward. So those buses would take that into account. And the capacity of buses is dramatically higher than cars. So the ski resorts aren't going to lose out. In fact, the ski resorts already pay. There's free transit in most of the ski towns. And the, and the, the, the um, you know, as somebody who doesn't have a car, yeah. you know, when I'm up in uh, Aspen or um, uh, Breckenridge or a- any of these places, I, I take buses with my ski gear and it works and there's lots of other people who do it. So it is, it might be a little bit of a stretch for some people. And for, again, it's not going to go away. They can pay a toll. They can go up. <laughs> would, would truckers have to pay the same toll? I haven't thought it out that, that far, that much further. Because I think actually limiting some, of, maybe during the highest peak times, mm-hmm. limiting some of the truck traffic during those times could help alleviate some of those, especially uh, high time frame capacity traffic jams, at least by a little bit, because you can fit three or four vehicles in the space of one semi truck. Mm-hmm. And they, you're talking about being inconvenienced. Those semis, yeah, it could be inconvenienced. They might have to wait until, let's say, outside from six to nine where they couldn't do it in the morning and three to six in the evening, something like that. So they would have some time frame where they couldn't do it. They could run up to I-80 or uh, they could wait a few hours and and off they go. So it's not totally eliminating their movements, but I think that could actually help out some of the uh, trip times up there on I-70. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're up in the mountains, you still need to eat. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're right. People end up in the hospital. Idaho Springs is a a hip little town now. Yeah, so... um, you know, it, I, I, yeah, it, maybe it makes sense to, to limit some of that commercial traffic, but um, we also need the stuff when we get up there. Yep. Andy, it was great to have you in here. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. No, it was a really, it was a, it was a pleasure to have you uh, and talk about all this transit stuff. Um, and, uh, and I hope people learn some things and we'll check you out there on Streets Blog Denver and, and follow you. Obviously, what, what's your Twitter handle if people want to follow you? Uh, well, there's the Streets Blog Twitter handle, and I'm at Andy Bosselman. That's it? Just Andy Bosselman, yep. and that's it? All right, perfect. <laughs> All right, Andy, thanks again for being here. I uh, appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for, for listening to the show. I think you're yeah. a, you're an avid listener, aren't you? I do listen, and, uh, and thank you for having me. And again, I would just like to leave people who drive with this vision of uh, one in four cars disappearing, because if the city achieves that goal, it's going to help everybody, including people who drive. Not going to help me because I get here at, you know, I leave for work at (laughs) 3 o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, it's just me and the cops and the drunks and the truckers that are out there. So (laughs) (laughs) not not much else going on at that point anyway. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.